0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Hello, I'm Father Mitch Pacwa, and welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from around the world. Tonight, we'd like to talk about Pope St. John the Paul's example of love for the Blessed Mother. And look at a very special relic of this holy pope, this saint, with our guest who comes to us from Livonia, Michigan. He's the pastor of Sacred Heart Byzantine Catholic Church, a Ruthenian Rite parish, which also houses the All Saints Shrine, one of the largest collections of relics in all of Michigan. Currently, it houses more than 280 first-class relics of various saints. Here to tell us more, please welcome Father Joseph Marquis. Father Joseph. You, Father. Welcome. Good to have you here it's with us. It's a privilege to be here. And you have this collection of relics that you've worked pretty hard to, to bring together so that these relics are just not all over the place, but in a place where there's worship, where that, the, the God's house for God's saints. And this is a great gift. Before we start talking about some of the mm-hmm. specifics, a lot of our viewers are unaccustomed to the Catholic custom of having relics. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in the past, there have been strong criticism of relics. Why do we have relics.
1: There's something innate, I think, to being a human being, the human psyche, um, that loves to focus on something that's tangible. Our Lord entered into the waters of the Jordan. He sanctified the material world just by entering into it. And there's something, it's interesting, you know, you go to, say, for example, I don't know if you've ever been to Louisville, Kentucky. I Mm -hmm. bet you were, because you're kind of a globetrotter. You make John Paul II look pretty good uh, you're keeping up with being good pull. Uh but seriously though uh, I went to the um, place where they made the Louisville slugger yeah and it's a fascinating place to go I really urge you if you're in Louisville it's worth the trip and uh, when I went in there they have the museum part they take you through the manufacturing which is fascinating but I went to the museum and the first case they had was a broken bat now my mother threw out many broken bats, and trust me, they weren't in a case. They went in the garbage. Right. So I was asking myself, who is this? Uh, who owned this? It was Babe Ruth's. I figured. And his bad boy was the one that kept it. He broke. What's the use of a broken bat? So he kept it all these years, and he donated it to Louisville Slugger. And what was fascinating about a number of things? First of all, they knew it was definitely from Babe Ruth uh, because. There were notches. He would take a pocket knife. Every time he'd hit a home run, he'd carve a notch like the gunslinger in the Old West <laughs> on the hand of the revolver, you know. And uh, what struck me was that nobody was willing to throw it out. It was totally useless. It's a broken bat. Uh, why do we keep... The, what is it about humanity that needs tangible signs? Because it's an encounter... With greatness, mm-hmm. inspires us to reach uh, beyond what uh, we tend to limit ourselves to. I, as we discussed earlier this evening, I think we're mysteries unto ourselves. And so when you speak in terms of the relics, now there's a quotation, and this is uh, from uh, uh, Saint Jerome dealing with relics. He said, We do not worship the relics. Absolutely not. But we venerate the relics of the martyrs in order to better adore him whose martyrs they are. And so when we uh, are at the tomb, let's say if we go to Rome, at the tomb of St. John Paul the Great, uh, it's uh, an encounter with greatness. In fact, the the church has never conferred that from the top down. That's something uh, the people uh, that express this this love for a, a figure there's only a handful of uh, bishops that got the title the great That's conferred by the census fidelium the people were yelling John Paul the great John Paul the great and even at his funeral make him a saint make him a saint they're demanding right. so the holy spirit speaks to the church so i was very fortunate i always loved uh, st john paul too because he was a, a person that suffered a great deal under the communist yoke and it was dangerous to follow Christ. And even if you, some of our friends in the, in the listening audience are aware that uh, they even bugged his confessional trying to find something where he'd say something subversive about the state in Poland. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even before that, yes. the suffering under the Nazis. The Nazis. Yes. As they say, you know, the old saying in Poland, the, the Poles are the ones that lost World War II twice. And John Paul, too, what convinced me that he was a great saint uh, was when he forgave his would be assassin, embraced him as a brother. Now, it points out one important thing. He is an ambassador of mercy. Uh, he, He said these words, and they really touched me on a deep level. We, we are not the sum of our mistakes or shortcomings. We are the sum of our Heavenly Father's love for us. And I'll read the entire quote. It's worth thinking about. And that was first uh, expressed at uh, the the famous uh, World Youth Day in Denver, Colorado in the 90s. We are not the sum of our weaknesses and failures. We are the sum of the Father's love for us and our real capacity to become the image of His Son." Now if not open to becoming the image of His Son, why do we claim the title Christian, let alone Catholic? Because the word Christian was conferred, as you know, you're a scholar, in Antioch for the first time. The people that were actually imitating Christ even unto His death on the cross. And I I don't have any authority, I don't have any influence in the church on any grand level, but I would say that John Paul II was a bloody martyr for the faith. Hmm. He was, witnessed it to the shedding of his blood, and the first thing he did when he was healthy enough, and you know his life was almost taken from, was to directly forgive the would-be assassin. The assassin never said he was sorry, by the way, Yeah. at that time. Uh, but there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Now we can forgive. I pray for people that haven't been too kind. Okay, um, we can forgive people. Sometimes you have an abusive relationship. Let's say an abusive father, or some some situation that didn't end well, and they're like this. So you forgive them. It doesn't mean reconciliation. For example, John Paul II didn't say to Aliaga, "Hey, you're a pretty good shot. I could use you in the Swiss Guards." Yeah. No, you know, probably wouldn't be a good. No, idea. Re- reconciliation requires a sense of trust. When you don't trust somebody, it's easily lost. You know, so the martyrs—they're witnesses. That's the word you, You're well aware. i i am not revealing anything new to you by any stretch of the imagination. The martyrs were witnesses. That's what the word martyr meant. But of course, when you get into the apostolic period, Peter and Paul, all the apostles shed their blood except with the beloved disciple John. But they all shed their, their uh, blood. Bartholomew was flayed alive. We have a relic of St. Bartholomew. It's about that long piece of bone. And you say to yourself, you Catholics, why do you keep this piece of bone around? Well, it is worthless, just like Babe Ruth's bat. It is now worthless that's sitting in Louisville. But it's an encounter with greatness. A man who was flayed alive. I mean, I, I pricked my finger with a pen or paper cut. I have a long way to go before I'm like Bartholomew. But he believed in Christ and the power flowing from his resurrection. Now, what we have here is extraordinarily rare. We've got uh, a relic in our shrine. The first one we received was from um, Cardinal Givish. Now, you know images of the assassination attempt uh, where uh, this Monsignor with his black cassock catches John Paul II in the Bill. That's the future Cardinal Givish, as you're well aware. Mm -hmm. And he is the one that gave us uh, the relic of his bloody cr- cassock. It's, it's very small. It's only 5 millimeters by 5 millimeters. Once again, what do you do with this? Once again, it's a contact with uh, greatness. We have before us an extraordinarily rare relic. But I mentioned the imagination, especially relates to this wonderful pope, first uh, Polish pope. It's his pericardium. It encircled his heart. Those of you who didn't go to nursing college or any, or uh, medical school in our listening audience. Um, It's, if you can picture it, not to be disrespectful, like a sandwich bag, it's about that thin, it's a membrane Mm -hmm. that as you know, encircles the entire heart, secures it to the chest wall, uh, and there's a pericardial fluid. So this particular membrane was wrapped up by the pathologist in the shape of a human heart. And that was the heart of him, this man, beat within that membrane. Mm from the beginning of life to its end. So once again, you wonder how in the world would we come to venerate them? Well, I go to my mom's grave, my dad's grave. Uh, it's not creepy. Uh, we pay our respects, but I also, because we're people, um, you know, talk about animals, we're not, more, we're not just merely rational animals, we're praying animals. I never saw a dog make the sign of the cross and pray before meals in a dog dish. Um, So the capacity for eternity, you look at this pericardium, this was actually given to the ecumenical patriarch of Constantinople on the day John Paul II was beatified. And that's Bartholomew I. He gave it to a monk on Monathos, a Russian Orthodox monastery on Monathos. And some time ago, uh, uh, one of the monks on the monastery uh, island, Uh, was willing to let me acquire this for our shrine. And I'm convinced it's through the prayers of St. John Paul II because I love this man. He never really died. Uh, And you know what the name of this monk was? Father Mm Andrei. His last name is Is that right? He's a great cousin of John Paul II. So I'm really, I pray for these monks all the time. They know I've got a soft spot for religious and monastics and so forth because they're keeping the the church glued together and the the world from falling completely apart. This is extraordinary. For a man, that quotation, he said, you know, open wide. He said this in Denver, open wide the, the doors of your heart to Jesus Christ. That's a message for all time. Exactly. And he loved these quaint devotions, drove the left crazy going to Lourdes, he's going to Shestohova, he's saying the Marian Rosary, he's got Eucharistic devotions. All of a sudden we're getting all these vocations and they're they're incredible religious communities sprouting up because of the inspiration of this one man. Mm -hmm. But we don't just limit it to John Paul, he's one of the outstanding saints of all time. But we have the, most of our relics are from the first eight centuries of the church's existence. And we pray to St. Nicholas, as you know, you know, being in the East, we pray to St. Nicholas. and He's a big deal for us. He's on an equal footing in terms of devotion to St. Joseph as the protector of the universal church in the West. St. Nicholas is our boy. He's the friend of the marginalized and the forgotten and the nobodies. So I would say two thirds of the relics I've acquired, and many of them are very large, Mm -hmm. uh, were uh, acquired through the intercession of St. Nicholas. How did I know this? because people I never met would contact me from Bari. Well, this might not ring a bell with anybody right now, but Bari is the basilica on the heel of Italy on the Adriatic. It's a medieval basilica, and his body rests there. And so within about a 35 mile radius, all of a sudden I'm getting contacts from people. And so we've acquired quite a few Uh, uh, relics over the years Um, and in terms of Saint Nicholas himself we have a radius bone from this point here seven inches long and it's not only his uh, blessing arm but I like to think of it as his giving arm. Mm -hmm. We have the the veil of the mother God very small piece from Saint Jerome and if anyone's ever been to Jerusalem you know I'm talking about that uh, in the cave in Bethlehem which is only nine miles from Jerusalem. Uh, the cave next to the grotto where our Lord was born is the cave where St. Jerome translated, made the Latin Vulgate mm-hmm. available. And in fact, uh, I like to think that uh, had he transported himself uh, back a few centuries, uh, they could have used the same mailbox for Christmas cards, You know, sure. right there at the place of the Nativity. But he brought back with him to Rome the entire veil that was kept in the patriarchal um, storage area for relics. Brought it to the Pope in Rome, and it's still in Rome, the, the greater part of it. So we have a small fragment. Also, it's about maybe yai by yai, maybe a little bit smaller than a postage stamp from the robe of St. Joseph. Mm-hmm. We had the year of St. Joseph, our bishop, uh, Milan Locke. You know, he's a Jesuit. That's right. You know? I know he's a friend yeah. of mine. See, they're not all bad, you know. But any, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but say, say I had a bishop, Milan, while we're at it. Um, the faith that we have is incarnational, and it's Trinitarian. To the degree that um, we have mutual self-gift, reciprocity, and love, the, the glue that binds the Trinity together. We have a foretaste of heaven. So we encounter these saints in their relics. When I first acquired them, I felt like this is a family reunion. Saint Sebastian, I remember when I was a little kid, I, I love Saint Sebastian. You know why? Uh, the entire martyrology, he's the only one who's martyred twice. He faced a firing squad. Then the Christian women found out that he was actually still alive and nursed him back to health, and they confronted the emperor who had him beaten to death in his presence. That's a guy. And we have women that would woman up, not just the men that would man up, women that would woman up. And there's, uh, of course, we know about the uh, coronavirus. We had a devotion in honor of St. Corona during this plague period, and none of our people were uh, infected. Now, after we had the vaccine, some had minor. But nobody died. Nobody had any problem with the, that terrible scourge. I never got corona either. Yeah. But the point being is that I wanted to get a first-class relic of St. Corona. <laughs> and um, so I talked to my friend in uh, Bari. Boy, that's going to be next impossible. I'll, I'll do what I can. Well, about three weeks later, he said, I do have a first-class relic. It was the, the uh, part of the spinal disc of St. Victor. And he was killed the same year. And I said, oh, well... Yeah, I mean, I'm game, you know, sure. So I acquired that one. Two weeks after that, he told me, I've got St. Corona. And it came just a week before uh, we started the devotion. So um, I did my research, and I was shocked to find out. Now here, they've, they followed each other. Corona and Victor were married, even in death. Isn't that something? How providence works. Like somebody said, you know, coincidence happen every time I pray, you know. So we have them uh, together. He was a Roman soldier, 18, 19 tops. She was 15. Now you think about the Holy Mother God. She was only 15 when she was married, too. They were discovered as Christians. He was in an honor guard. He never shed blood. But as soon as they found out he was a Christian, it was over through uh, envy. So they had them both arrested, the Roman uh, government. Had them condemned, led them through a death march in the streets, and that's where they'd have a sign on them saying they're Christian. People would throw things at them, garbage and God knows what else, rocks, until they got to the place of execution. And um, her husband Victor was first to die, and they forced her to watch him. And you just can't execute a guy. It has to be lusty, it's got to be agonizing. So the first thing they did, they scourged him like our Lord. Then they forced him up on his knees. And in front of his bride, his eyes were gouged out. So he's crying tears of blood. Now, his wife breaks through. She falls at his knees and said, Dear, trust in our Jesus, I'm going to be following you shortly to heaven. They dragged her back, forced her to look at her husband when they cut his head off, marched her off to a place where they had two young palm trees. And they had had very strong ropes, they tied them to the ground, they had loops. She stand between, you can anticipate what's going on here. And at the orders of the magistrate, they had two uh, military men take their swords and cut the uh, ropes that were attached to the trees, and her arms were ripped out of their sockets. Now in 2003, she was invoked as the patron sent against a plague because of the name Corona. And then officially in many dioceses, they still honor her as... Uh, the patron in protection against the coronavirus. And as I said, thank God we were spared. But what I'm saying is, in terms of eternity, they're closer to us than we are to ourselves. And, uh, you know, if you want to ever come to, to metropolitan Detroit, and there are shrines throughout the country, you can look them up, you can Google them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the point being is that we're more than happy to have them stop by. They want to bring a tour bus to Livonia, Michigan name of our uh, uh, shrine, or church, of me, Sacred Heart Byzantine Catholic Church, Livonia, Michigan, but the shrine is very easy to remember. Even I can remember it, allsaintshrine.org.
0: And you can, you can go to that website, allsaintshrine.org, and find out more about it, and certainly go there, and not to do so as if it were a museum, but rather to go there for what it is, a shrine. We need to take a little break. We'll come back. We want to get some of your questions and your comments. So please stay with us. While we're speaking about the saints and the relics and such, uh, you know, Father Miguel from uh, the friars here at EWTN is going to be leading a pilgrimage to Amsterdam, Belgium, Germany, and Switzerland. That will be May 25th to June 5th of 2023. If you are interested in that, go to visitationpilgrimages.com And you'll get more information on how to do that. Well, let's let's go to, uh, uh, well, before we go to questions, I want to mention one thing that I think is important about the relics. Um, Where is that in the Bible?
1: That's an important thing. We've got a biblical scholar. What about Elisha?
0: Well, there's there's the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings 13 that he was buried, he had died and was buried, and then another man was going to be buried soon after. And the Midianites, who were a Bedouin group, uh, came to do a raid, and the people that were burying the other guy took their friend and just tossed him into Elisha's grave, because they had to go run and hide themselves. As soon as that man hit the body of Elisha, he came back to life. Now that's in 2 Kings 13. And because of that, we use first-class relics from the saints. Then also, if you take a look in the Gospels, you read in each of them the story of the woman who had a hemorrhage. Remember that? And she went and touched the tassel of our Lord's garments. And she was healed. That is the first second-class relic that we ever see. And then we see that there is in Acts 19, I think right around verse 10, that people would bring claws and touch them. There were handkerchiefs that they would bring to touch to Saint Paul and then take them back. There's your third class relic. Mm-hmm. So these are in the Bible. And that's why, and we just keep doing what the Bible shows us. So that's that's one of the things we got. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a question from this lady. Ma'am, where are you from?
1: I'M FROM THE PADRE PIO Per GROUP OF CLEVELAND.
0: OH, NICE. WONDERFUL. Yes. WONDERFUL. And YOUR QUESTION? MY color? QUESTION
1: IS, what, are, WHAT MAKES A RELIC FIRST CLASS, SECOND CLASS, OR THIRD CLASS? OKAY. YOU GET AN EXCELLENT SUMMARY, BUT I'LL just PUT IT THIS WAY. FIRST CLASS RELIC WOULD BE HAIR, uh, COULD BE BLOOD exanguine, EXCORPORES THE BODY, OR IT COULD BE um, uh, FROM THE BONE. Exusibus. so those are types. Now the interesting thing is, I had somebody ask me, "Well, there aren't any relics of Jesus, and yes, there are. It's called the shroud of Turin, because it's human, but it's exsanguine, very, very, very light, according to the scientists. But it's on there, and also the head cloth that carried, covered the head of Christ, you see, in John's Gospel, wrapped by itself, and the shroud's to one side. Uh, that has the blood of Christ, and the DNA matches the shroud, and the blood type matches the shroud. Yeah, and we have a thread of the shroud in our shrine too.
0: By the way. Right. Yeah. All right. And and of course there'd be uh, something of a uh, another very important relic of Christ, his cross true. and crown of thorns. That's true. You know that, uh, and I know a lot of people have heard that uh, this was something that was said. I THINK FIRST BY MARTIN LUTHER OR MAYBE ONE OF THE CALVINISTS. BUT THEY WOULD SAY THAT THERE ARE ENOUGH RELICS OF THE TRUE CROSS TO MAKE THREE CROSSES. ACTUALLY THAT'S NOT TRUE. ALL THE DOCUMENTED RELICS OF THE TRUE CROSS ARE RECORDED AND IT MAKES LESS THAN A THIRD OF A CROSS. THAT'S TRUE. IT'S NOT EVEN A WHOLE CROSS, YET alone, IT'S CERTAINLY NOT THREE CROSSES. So there are a lot of those around, but they usually take tiny, tiny slivers of the true cross. Ma'am, where are you from? Well, Lillian Mirsky, I'm from St. Colette Parish in Brunswick, Ohio. Wonderful. Good to have you here. Thank you. It's good to be here. So I'd like to know why, in the steps to becoming a canonized saint... Why does the church wait till near the end to exhume the body and see if it is not decomposed?
1: Uh, not necessarily see it's not decomposed because the vast majority of the saints, their body did return to a skeletal state. For example, mm-hmm. our Lord said himself there was no greater uh, man born of woman than John. Right. Well, he was reduced to dust. Right. Bernadette Subaru defies everybody. They call her the sleeping saint. Yeah. And uh, you can see her in this uh, in, um, never I believe where her convent is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason they assume the body is to identify the body, not to see if it's incorrupt. Sometimes when they do that, like in the case of Bernadette Subaru, uh, she was completely incorrupt. In fact, uh, uh, they have a, a photograph of her, I forgot how many decades after her death, and they put her out on a beer, and she looked like she just fell asleep.
0: Yeah, Exactly.
1: So they had to put a new habit on her. By the way, it didn't fare well. And also her rosary, the the wire on the rosary actually rusted so they had to give her a new rosary and a new habit she she lasted far better than uh, bodily anyway than the uh, habit in their rosary
0: and but you can still see her yeah. they oh, yeah. still they still yeah. have her in a glass case oh yeah and uh, and again she looks like she is just a nun taking her afternoon nap yeah. she, uh, and she very very yeah. beautiful she is beautiful uh, and you can also see the body of uh, yesterday's saint, who was Pope Saint John the Twenty-Third, mm-hmm. his body is also in a glass case mm-hmm. at an altar inside St. Peter's in the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was one of the real privileges uh, for me to be able to celebrate wow. Mass at that altar. I Ma'am, where are you from? First of all, from
1: the Padre Pio Cleveland Group. Great. It's my first time on a. You know,
0: pilgrimage, pilgrimage yeah, that's the nice. word. And I wondered, I have several um, relics, how to preserve them? I'm not even sure.
1: Well, they're, they're preserved if they're in a reliquary. A theca yes. looks like a brooch. Correct. Uh, well, you, you can do it respectfully in a number of ways. You can go to a religious supply outlet, they can provide you with small reliquaries. Um, most of the reliquaries at my shrine. Uh, I created either out of uh, jewelry boxes from Europe, Uh, for example, St. Anastasia, I've got this really elaborate one with with flowers and she was a a great martyr of the early church. And interestingly enough, her catechist, Chrysogonus, you know, in the Western litany, Father, you know, Chrysogonus, Anastasia, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. Agatha, Lucy, and so forth and so on. Um, Well, we have Chrysogonus's the frontal part of his skull they're in the same cabinet together. He wrote letters and she wrote back and forth when he was in prison before his death. After his execution, she was 19, he was about 41. Um, and she was killed within a few months, uh, but, uh, and in the arena, of course. Uh, but she was praying to God for the grace to meet her demise. She knew she was going to die for Christ, but she's a rational human being who wants to be murdered. And uh, mm-hmm. so we have both of them united in the same cabinet now, just like... Uh, a number of saints. Sure,
0: sure. No, that's that's a very important thing. And you know, <clears throat> along with this, I, I think uh, it's important for us uh, to discuss these things because many, uh, from a number of years, from the late 1960s into the 1980s, mm-hmm. there was a period of you know getting rid of. The uh, relics in churches and holy images, crucifixes were frequently removed, uh, statues of Our Lady and the Saints, uh, pictures of Our Lady and the Saints, these these all were removed. And the the theory was uh, from an architect who wanted churches to be like a Japanese tea house, this is a place where there's, uh, you, you empty your mind. And the idea is that in the emptiness you come to peace. But that's not the model for liturgy no. No. at all.
1: It's a model for quietism.
0: Yeah. <laughs> for us, yeah. The, mo- the, the liturgy and coming to church mm-hmm. is a foretaste of heaven. And as a Ruthenian, especially, that the use of icons is that heaven is having windows into the church. And we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, the images of the saints and the icons. This is more the way that we should think about coming to Mass and Mm -hmm. celebrating the liturgy.
1: And it's interesting, as mentioning to Father, we're having a supper. And uh, there was a youngster, he was going to a Western Rite. He's uh, St. Michael's Church in Livonia. And he came with his younger brother and his dad to go to the shrine. (laughs) And I'm taking him on a tour, and he says to me, this 11-year-old boy says, do you happen to have St. Polycarp? That was his confirmation name. Uh He was so thrilled. It could be because we have a piece of his hip. It's about yay big. And he was absolutely thrilled. Uh, Young adults, college people, and even a little bit younger, They find this fascinating because, for example, uh, we have the entire right-hand index finger of uh, St. Joseph of Arimathea. Now, this handled the dead Christ, wrapped the body in the shroud, took it to the tomb with Nicodemus. We have a fragment, a bone fragment of Nicodemus, maybe by Yai Big, but uh, this one, the entire right index finger. And in the same area, we have the relics of the Passion, which include a tip from the crown of thorns, St. Louis of France, of course. He's the one that acquired relics uh, during his period. Uh, and if you've ever been to Saint-Chapelle in Paris, you've been there mm-hmm. Father. Ooh, a curtain, of glass. That was originally built as a, if you want to be, three-dimensional environment, a giant reliquary for the crown of thorns. Right. Subsequently, as you know, it went to Notre Dame. Uh, but the thing is, just having the tip from, because of St. Louis, the king, Uh, And he was a very holy man. I mean, he had all this fancy uh, imperial garment uh, that he wore externally, underneath he had a hair shirt on. Never made it, they found out after his death that all those years he had a hair shirt on himself. But he was the one that said, I cannot take everyone to the Holy Land. I'm a monarch, I can do what I want, but my people can't, I wanna strengthen their faith. So he acquired these relics, brought them in all these basilicas, for example, in France, um, they have relics of the saints. They're built to honor, let's say, the, 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 um, uh, the saint uh, ba- John the Baptist. Now you might, you might have heard this because this goes around a lot. Well, there are five heads of John the Baptist, all equally documented by the church and you know, validated. The only trouble is they don't understand the me- medieval mindset. You say you have the head, you have a part of the head. You go to Amiens, here's all you got. That's it. The rest is all silver. You may have the bi- We have the head of John the Baptist, this side, that side. So the four, uh, four or five fragments, this is, in this case, it's five fragments. St. Athanasius of Alexandria. We have the entire uh, left temporal lobe. I mean, five pieces. And we have, and he was at the Council of Nicaea 325, not, not a bishop, a deacon, but boy, what a genius, age 30. He uh, succeeded, as Father knows. Uh, St. Alexander of Alexandria, who was a council father, but he is an advisor. And we have both of them together in the same cabinet.
0: And this is something that you mentioned here. That's a very important issue. And that's the chain of custody. Talk a little bit about what we mean by that chain of custody.
1: How can you validate these relics? For example, I get uh, sometimes, because people are jaded by it, I'm not blaming them, But for example, the true cross, and that sarcastic remark, you know, if you glued all the relics of the true cross, you'd have Noah's Ark. Well, that was following on that lead in the 19th century by a wag. But this is the key. Uh, Helena was sent by Constantine the Great to Jerusalem to identify all the holy sites. Archaeologists made her, if you will, by uh, their own claim, if you will, by tradition, the patron saint of archaeologists. She did her homework. Uh, they knew where the, the, uh, the uh, Tomb of Christ was. They knew where Golgotha is. You know why? It was under a pagan temple that was built under Titus. The well, no, Hadrian. It was oh, built under a, Hadrian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. I've got to have some more coffee here. But anyway, <laughs> it's awfully weak. Oh, that's water. Okay. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's a very good point. But the point is they actually marked these spots by desecrating supposedly, and that's how they know, for example... Where the multiplication of loaves and fishes. Now, Father, I know you've been there because you yeah, say the Rose sure. and in holy sites. How do you identify this place? Well, um, they have uh, this beautiful uh, shrine there and they have tile and the famous, you know, four loaves and two fish. And you say, well, where's the fifth loaf? It's on the altar. It's a prefigurement of the Eucharistic sacrifice. Right. But remember, because Father's been there, under the altar there's these four legs that are holding a beautifully carved marble. And how is this up, outcropping? You know, it's maybe about, I don't know. You know, maybe about four feet wide, maybe three feet deep, and I'm looking at this thing. And says, well, I said, why, don't think they shave that thing off, you know, and finish the talk? Oh, you wouldn't want to do that. Well why not? well, at at the time of our Lord, when He worked this miracle, that's the spot where they where our Lord worked this miracle, multiplication, loaves, and fishes. And uh, it was a natural slate table. And it's called holy vandalism. What happened was, after Lord's passion, death, and resurrection, People were regularly chipping stones from that slate table, natural where he put right. all the. Right. And uh, well, it was holy, yeah, holy vandalism. But you yeah, have my mother's sick. I'm gonna take this a touch of stone will invoke the divine physician to heal my mother. And so that's out, how could they identify many of the, these sites? The Tomb of Christ, also holy graffiti on the outside. They're praising Christ. Right. It's etched outside, and it had Constantine built what's called. An eticule if you can feel, think of a Russian nesting doll, what you see today, that superstructure, as you know, yeah. in Jerusalem, where our Lord um, uh, suffered His passion, death, and resurrection, but over the place of the tomb, uh, there's actually one within another within another. But if you uh, strip that away, you're going back first century. Mm-hmm. And they had, an, uh, I'm going to keep this short and painless, but they had uh, a, a renovation of the eticule which was getting weak. And what they discovered that... Our Lord's body was not on that marble piece. That's to protect the actual right. marble. Right. They had a piece at the time of Constantine the Great. Beneath it, there's something kind of funny. It's, it's hollow down there. And they found, they thought it was a dry cistern. It wasn't. It was a pathway that the Christians dug underneath uh, the um, holy sites, Golgotha, and but especially the holy tomb of Christ for the resurrection, went straight up, and you could knock the tomb was right there, so they actually calculated how to get there, and they climbed up. It was like a looked like a silo. said, like, "This isn't, a, this isn't a cistern. Mm-hmm. This is a passageway." And the the body of Christ was right. They could put their hand up, and the body of Christ, where it was laid, was right there.
0: Yeah, See, and it was is,
1: accurate. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, uh, this is uh, you know some of the the great things that the, the church you know tries to. Guard this. There, there have been people in the past who tried frauds, but the church, you know, really works hard to undo such fraud. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, this, is, this is, you know, the, you have people that try to fake things for their own gain, and they'll have to answer to they God will. for that. They will. You know, you, you don't fool God, and you make you can fool us maybe, mm-hmm. but you can't fool God, and this is something that. We don't want to see. Another uh, point that that I think is very important uh, underlying all this, uh, obviously in the Bible God used first class relics, the body of St. Elisha, and second class relics like our Lord's tassel, and Mm -hmm. a third class relic like the handkerchiefs that touched St. Paul in uh, Acts 19. Our Lord used that. But we have to ask this question. The devotion to the saints and asking the saints' intercession, this too is very biblical. A lot of times we Catholics just take it for granted, this is what we do. But we have to pay attention to the biblical nature of Mm -hmm. this because we see, for instance, The twenty-four elders that are around the throne of God and His Lamb, in Acts, excuse me, in Revelation chapter five, and in verse eight, it says that the twenty-four elders each had golden harps and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then we see the angel also Mm -hmm. with a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Correct. And I always like to use that image as a wonderful way to understand the role of the saints in heaven taking the prayers of the saints on earth, our prayers. You and I both use a lot of incense in the (laughs) liturgy, the Eastern (laughs) liturgies, use plenty we of incense. We get it both from Costco. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one of the things about the, uh, the, the incense, when you get a box of incense, it smells very nice. But it's only when you set it on fire, mm-hmm. put it on a hot coal, that it releases its aroma. Mm-hmm. And I like to use that as an image for our prayers. Our prayers are like nuggets of incense. But the saints in heaven place them on the coals and release the aroma of our prayers. So our prayers are sweet and and they're they're pleasing to God. Mm -hmm. But the angels and saints in heaven release the aroma, the sweetness of our prayers because they're right before God, and they put it on fire in His presence.
1: So the incense itself sacrifices itself, and because yes. of that sacrifice. Yes. And the beautiful thing, too, we're, about, we're surrounded by a, crowd, a, a cloud of witnesses. We celebrate the, the Holy Liturgy, and of course, the East were in, in with um, uh, the um, Maronites, and the our tradition, the Byzantine uh, Church, the Ruthenian tradition, Um, that's really key we have this idea of the uh, cloud of witnesses and our church is surrounded the entire church it's not a huge basilica but the entire church is encircled by cabinets containing 280 of our elder brothers and sisters in the faith and what what a special blessing that is you don't have to go to Rome you don't have to Mm -hmm. go to Eastern Europe you don't have to go to uh, Lourdes and France or wherever um, but we do we are blessed and St. Nicholas, I give all the credit to uh, St. Nicholas uh, for conferring that blessing on us all. Mm-hmm. So uh, if anybody's ever interested in there in Metro Detroit, mm-hmm. um, I'm welcome to bring a tour. They can bring yeah, a tour absolutely. down there. And, yeah,
0: And and again, because it's in a church, it's part, something that we come there to pray and ask for the saints to pray for yes. us. God answers the prayers. Correct. But the saints still pray for... I've oftentimes said, it's like Chicago politics. Just (laughs) because you're dead doesn't mean you can't vote. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to take anybody's rights away. (laughs) I'm sure they don't do that anymore, but when I was young...
1: Well, like uh, Father Mitch used to say, I've heard him on a number of occasions, you know, God is management, we're sales. Right, right,
0: right. (laughs) But I I think, you know, that the saints are fully alive in Jesus Christ. You know, with death, we don't cease to be. That's what the Egyptians thought. The ancient Egyptians would believe that if you were not good, you would cease to exist. And they would even erase your name. If you, if you had your name written anywhere, you no. were a pharaoh or something, if they thought you were bad, they would erase your name so that you do not exist. We don't believe that. No. If you know, God creates your soul at, cre- at your conception and that soul is eternal from that point on correct it will never cease to exist it will be either in heaven or hell and this is this is what is in store for each one of us and it's important for us to remember the one's who made it
1: and god doesn't make junk there so isn't this abortion issue is so evil uh, because the author of life wills us into existence and I, my people in my parish know this. I say this all the time. God could not bear a world without each one of us in it. I mean, I know intellectually, but when we pray, Father, you know what I'm talking about, it's an encounter with the God who willed us in existence. And, you know, <laughs> that's what the saints teach us. The dignity that which we have, God doesn't make junk. We are not the sum, as John Paul II would say, of our shortcomings and mistakes. You and I are the sum of our Heavenly Father's love for us. And if you and I were to dive into the merciful love of God, we would free fall forever. Padre Pio gave me my vocation, you know. He, he affirmed. I wasn't sure. My bishop called me literally on the phone, but he, <laughs> God called, him, called me through him. And I prayed to Padre Pio for my vocation. I made my retreat, uh, preordination retreat. And um, a number, I, I was kind of questioning myself. So I went to uh, St. Paul Media, the site of St. Paul, and Brother Bob was there, and I, I was feeling pretty bad. I mean, I was forgiven, but I didn't feel forgiven. Do you ever have that experience? Do you have doubts, I mean, was I really sorry? Was I as sorry as I could have been mm-hmm. if I was really sorry? So um, if you believe that, sorry, because that's not true. I, I prayed to Padre Pio for some kind of a sign, and he gave it to me. I was in this bookstore, and I flip up the New Testament because I remember he's a son of St. Francis. So I prayed, and I asked Padre Pio to point out in the book, praying with our Lord, obvious to our Lord, but point out in the book where I'm going to find some comfort. And I came to the Epistle of St. Paul. And what so it said, you are not your own. You are not your own. You have been purchased, and at what a price? And then I looked up. It was like Father Mitch is standing there. And above Father, or Brother Robert's head, was a sign, All sales final! <laughs> and Padre Pio appeared to me in a dream, and he came up and he hugged me, and this is the scripture passage that was given me. And on the day of my ordination... Do you know what the epistle reading was? The apostolic reading? You are not your own. You have been purchased, and at what a price. And Padre Pio came up to me in my first years at my parish. I inherited some challenges, but that way every priest has them. And I was asking him to, to, to be with me in this difficult time. You know, all of a sudden, I see him in a dream. This is like a week later. I just, I wasn't thinking about anything else. I wasn't even thinking about if the Red Wings are going to make the playoffs. <laughs> so uh, I'm praying. And a few days later, I'm sleeping. And in the middle of the night, here's Padre Pio's. It's in a dream. mind you. I'm not a, I'm not a visionary. In a dream. And he's coming. And he's coming like, like I can see Father's face. He's coming directly toward me. And he's smiling. And he's doing that. And I was thrown back in my pillow. And then he vanished. And we, all of us, you know, we're not our own. We're not our own. Thank God we're not our own. Look at the mess that People think they're on their own in this society. No, we've been purchased by the blood of Christ, and at what a price. And the saints like John Paul II, that was the point of his whole priesthood. He told the young people, the future is in your hearts and hands. God is entrusting to you the building of a civilization of what? Love. God is love. And he said, with regard to reconciliation, this is John Paul II, not me. I'm just as caddy." Christ, messi- me. Christ messian- messian- I'm t- get tired. Messianic program of mercy becomes the program of the church at its very center the center of this messianic program. There's always the cross of merciful love that attains its culmination. And his ability to forgive as he was forgiven was bearing fruit. And you know what happened to Aliaga? He became a Catholic. Recent years. So God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. We make mistakes. We're not mistakes. You and I sin, I hate to admit it, seven times a day, right? Right? but we're not since. And I think, you know, when you bring up the issue of
0: abortion, um, we also have to remember that we don't make babies in the womb pay for what their parents think might be a mistake they made. Maybe they shouldn't have had a baby, but they have one now. And you don't make the baby pay For what you think is a mistake. This is some that's the trick of the evil one. To think that if you feel that you made a mistake, you just have to get rid of it? No. This is a gift from God who did not make a mistake in creating that soul. No. And that every person is created for the age in which they exist. We belong for this age, and God wants to use us for this time and this place where we are today.
1: At the birth of Christ, they tried to kill the author of life, and we're discussing this today. Actually, in Bethlehem, you know that they discovered a mass grave where these uh, little boys were buried, these infant children were buried in a mass grave, and they have a shrine. And we acquired recently at our shrine a little humble pottery reliquary with a glass top, and you can see fragments. One is obviously the skull, and they all have been identified as males from that era. And you can see the ear canal from the inside. I'm going to be an amateur uh, guy. Really with intelligence. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But um, in our tradition when we have a funeral, you know we sing, Father, you're familiar with this. Eternal memory, blessed repose, eternal memory. We're not talking about memories of our loved one. It's the memory we're entrusting this soul to the eternal memory of God. We were not first conceived in our respective mothers' wombs. We were first conceived in the mind of God from all eternity. And because God does not create junk, we have no right to treat human dignity, human beings with the dignity conferred to them by God by death, a death sentence. So we praise Christ and the power flowing from His resurrection.
0: And I think, you know, when we look at the holy innocence... We celebrate them in their feast day as saints. They suffered as martyrs for Jesus Christ. And they didn't know they were dying for Christ. They didn't realize it. But that same principle applies Mm -hmm. to the holy innocents slaughtered today. That they don't know that they're martyrs to sometimes lust. Sometimes they're martyrs to the different desires of their parents. Uh, I, I didn't want a boy child, I wanted a girl child. Mm-hmm. Or I wanted a girl child mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and I, I got a boy, you know, whatever. Because that's one of the big reasons to have abortions. They don't want that gender. It, they're martyrs to the designer family idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're martyrs to materialism. I can't afford this. I, you know, I don't want to give up my career, all, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And at that point that we choose to do that, we become Herods. We don't want to be Herods. No. We want to be children of God and brothers and sisters of Christ. Father, we are out of time. Mm-hmm. This is, mind you, it's the All Saint Shrine, which is allsaintshrine.org. And if you join me in giving a blessing, may Almighty God, uh, you can use the pericardium. Please. Yes, may the Lord bless you by the intercession of St. John Paul bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, we can bring Father and all the other guests here only because this network is brought to you by you. So please remember to keep us in between the gas bill, electric bill, and cable bill because that's the only way we'll be able to pay all of our bills too. God bless you all and thank you.